from the Seesaw Studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another confusing episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks You Bet Your Garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Is that a slug eating away at your roses? Is that a crazy looking caterpillar dining on your dogwood? Or could they both be the two faces of the mysterious sawfly? On today's show, we'll help you name that test and tell you what to do if sawflies are wilting down your willows. Plus, products that don't protect you from mosquito bites. And of course, your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and interestingly intuitive inculcations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you counting the pro legs on what could be a caterpillar right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners. School bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Rodale Institute Studios at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, saw flies. Sometimes the larva looks like a slug. Sometimes it looks like a caterpillar. And there are many different varieties of them, and they confuse the heck out of gardeners. We'll tell you all you need to know about sawflies when we get to the question of the week. We also have a very special interview uh, with, I guess you'd call him an amateur entomologist, a former professor at Swarthmore College, who has investigated many ways of repelling or capturing mosquitoes. So you're going to find that very interesting. And it's all coming up after lots of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. John, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Uh, I'm happy to be able to talk to you. I'm happy you can talk to me as well, John. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. And where is John doing well? I'm retired and I'm home and I'm uh, writing my uh, fourth novel. Okay. But where? Where do you live? Oh, uh, Douglasville, Pennsylvania. Okay, and what's that near? I know that I know the name. I'm trying to place it. Uh, Pottstown. Oh, okay, sure, sure. Right on Route 100 and 663. You got it. All right. What can we do for John in Douglasville? All right. Uh, I have uh, these plants that have been growing all all summer long. Uh, they're on the side of the uh, my garage uh, driveway, mm -hmm. and and. Uh, they're about eight feet tall, and I, I asked a few people, and nobody seems to know what they are. So I'm asking you to, if you could identify them for me and how to get rid of them. Um, wow, wow, eight feet tall. Um, yeah. This is, this is the kind of situation where a picture is worth a thousand words, uh, but tell me what they look like. Okay, they look like skinny... Uh, Socorro, Socorro uh, cacti. And do they have, do they put up a giant spike that has yes. little yellow sulfur-colored flowers all over it? Yes. yes. Ding, 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 ding. Um, <laughs> that's, you know, 
that I don't consider that a weed. That is a highly ornamental plant, in my mind, called common mullet. Some people will also call it lamb's ear um, because, as you notice, when the plants are young and new, their leaves are the softest kind of nicest fur you've ever, you've ever touched. Yes. I believe they are biennials. In other words, they grow a rosette flat to the ground the first year, and then they send up that central stalk in their second year. And there can be, as you know, John, there can be a thousand yellow flowers. Oh, yes. On each one of those stalks. They are truly impressive plants, and they attract tons of native bees and butterflies and other pollinators. Um, I don't consider them a weed at all. Don't you think it makes the garage look better having them there? Yes, it, it, it's, it's unique, uh, to say the least. And uh, I was mystified because I don't know how they ever came about. I never had them before. And I have at least eight of them. Now they're dying. The cent yes. central stalk is turning dark brown. Yes. Yeah, and if you don't like that look, you can cut it off. Um, but what I would do if I were you is cut it off and then lay it on the ground, uh, the central stalks, uh, to see if more seeds come out. They do readily self-seed. They come up in my garden, and I can't tell you how the seed is spread because they seem to come up in my garden in different locations every year. And uh -huh. you, you, they're so easy to identify. There is no softer, more furry leaf. I think, in the world of horticulture than the leaves of common mullen. So you know where they are. And in a year where it seems like too many of them are coming up, um, I'll pull out a few. They're very easy to just pull out of the ground. You soak the ground. You pull gently. They'll come out roots and all. But I always encourage them um, to exist in a few places, and not generally in, in the back, in the, in the in, in, you know, I keep them up front where people can see them because they're a great conversation piece, right? People come up and say, what the heck is that? Right, right. And when you have eight of them alongside your driveway, it really is impressive. Yeah, it sounds great. So uh, they're not harmful in any way. They are tremendous attractors of beneficial insects. And I think they look really cool. I don't know their history, but I, I have to believe they're an escaped ornamental. Anything, uh -huh. anything that attractive had to be in the horticulture trade at one well, how, point. How, how did they initially come into my area? I've uh, never had one here for, uh, I've never seen one before. How did it ever start? By seed. And be, because there's no fruit, there's a flower, but then there's really no fruit that develops from it. I have to think that the seed is dropped or scattered on the wind. I don't think birds would um, move them around. But now that yeah. you know the name, um, it's very easy to look it up and see what its life cycle is, where it's, uh, oh, yeah. where it's native to. I'm very happy now. I, I finally got an answer. Yeah, you scared me to death, John, because I had, you know, you said you got these eight-foot-tall plants. I'm going, I can't help this guy. I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy. I love that plant. It is one of my favorites. Oh, good. Oh, great. 
Thank you. All right, John, thank you very much. It made me feel good about my ability for a change. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. You too, man. Well, the weather's cooling down, but gardening is heating up. There's lots to plant and harvest. It's time for that big second season of salad greens and cold weather crops. And we'll tell you how to get it all done correctly and organically. Just give us a call at 833-727-9588. Teresa, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. How are you, Mike? I am just ducky, thanks for asking. How's Teresa? I'm fine. And where is Teresa fine? I'm calling from Boothwind, Pennsylvania. Okay, just outside of Philadelphia. Right, correct. All right, what can we do you for? Well, um, I want to put a couple trees in my backyard, mm -hmm. and I had it all set up for the end of this month. And oh, on a show for um, a show a couple of weeks ago that I was listening to of yours, you had told somebody uh, that it wasn't good to have dogwood trees um, in the sun all day long. And yes. that was what I had set up to be put in my yard, and I have sun all day long. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering what I should put instead. Well, yeah, they would wither and die. Dogwoods are uh, very finicky. They can be disease prone, but not if they're planted in the right conditions, which is really full morning sun. So the leaves and the bark dry off, but then shade in the afternoon so they don't right. cook. I have no shade in the afternoon. It's sun all day. Oh, okay. Well, that, you know, that's not the worst thing you could have. Um, what do you want out of a tree? Well, um, I did have a, a big, uh, well, I had a pussy willow bush out there that grew into an enormous tree. Yeah, they do. Um, and it was a lot of shade from it, but it constantly dropped little tiny branches every single day. So mm -hmm. it kind of, it drove us crazy. We ended up taking it down, although I do miss the shade, and, and the birds miss it a lot. So I did want to put something else up that would be pretty, nice to look at, good for the birds, but not too much of a mess. Okay. So um, you said something about three. Is the backyard that big, or you were just going by the size of dogwoods? Um, uh, yeah, a kind of that. It's about a, a quarter, between a quarter and a half acre. Okay, you got room for a couple of trees. Mm -hmm. In terms of shade, um, you probably can't do better than oaks or maples. Okay. Um, oaks are amazing trees, but they will, all oaks produce acorns. Yes. So they will produce acorns, and that can be problematic um, because mice 
and deer will eat the acorns and then their population will increase and that increases your risk of ticks. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to maples, which do release those little helicopter seed pods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I but, know what you mean. But not constantly. And the fall color on some of them is unmatched. Um, right, correct. Uh, you want to get a sugar maple, though. You don't want to get a silver maple. Okay. Even though they're both maple trees, the silver maple is a trash tree. Um, okay. Very structurally unsound, kind of like the Bradford pear. It should never be planted. Um, whereby a sugar maple, the kind that they tap to make maple syrup, has probably the best fall color of any maple. And you, as you can imagine, that's saying something. Okay. Now, anything that won't grow too, too big. Well, again, you want shade. Why, why can't we go big? Well... There's a pool back there. Okay. And um, I, I, we just didn't want to go too big. I, the, uh, the, the pussy willow wasn't too big. I mean, mm -hmm. big for a pussy willow, but not, um, not big for a regular tree. But, but it spread enormously. Mm -hmm. It spread all over the place. Yeah. So I was thinking maybe of a bigger, maybe Japanese maple, some kind of a willow, something like that. Japanese maples are beautiful trees. Um, willows can be problematic. They have okay. the most invasive roots oh, okay. of any tree, pretty much. Do you have, um, do you know for sure whether you have any kind of buried electrical or sewer piping or anything under the ground? We do. What do you got? Uh, sewer, elect, all that. Oh, all okay. So... Are you sure of where it all is, or are you going to call 811 and ask them to map it out for you? It is in the front. But this is in the back we're talking about. This is in the back. Now, in the back, there's also um, an oil pipeline. Uh, somebody else's? Well, yes, it doesn't belong to us. Okay. So, yeah, you call 811. That's the national number for when you're going to be digging around things like this. Um, and I'm not sure exactly how they do it. They may give you quadrants, they may come out, but they will help you plant your tree without interfering with that pipeline. Okay. That's hugely important. Now, in terms of trees that really look great, mm -hmm. um, it doesn't throw as much shade, but there is probably nothing more beautiful um, than an ornamental cherry tree. Okay. Especially the kind with the weeping habit, where it kind of leans over. Mm -hmm. They grow very slowly, so they can get big. I know one that's like 50 feet tall, but it's been growing for over 100 years. Oh, and we'll be gone by then. Yes. <laughs> um, river birch river is birch. a beautiful tree with real four-season interest. Um, it has an exfoliating bark you know, the kind of bark that looks like peeling wallpaper. Uh, yes, yes. And it's, it's really a magnificent tree, and it looks great all year long. Okay. Now, um, you, don't want, you don't want anything that drops fruit, right? So that takes service no. berry yes. out of the equation. Another tree that I've heard um, recommended for, quote, our region, Philadelphia, New Jersey, Delaware, New York, is the ironwood tree. I don't know a lot about it, or at least it's not coming up in my mental computer right now. 
um, but it's underplanted and highly recommended. Okay. Now the Never important the important thing is that you call that eight one one number and make sure you don't damage that oil pipeline. We don't want uh, the Valdez to be repeated in your backyard. <laughs> exactly. Um, and actually, I don't. We weren't going to go back that far. Mm -hmm. So um, okay. Well, great. I wrote all these down, and we have somewhere to go, and no dogwoods for us. Yeah, not not in full sun. I mean, they're beautiful trees. Um, full sun, you could do a magnolia. You know, they're amazing trees. All right. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate all your help. I love your show. We listen all the time. Oh, thank you very much. You take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will explain how to transform your fall leaves into magnificent mulch and compost carbon at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, October 2nd for the Bristol Township Environmental Advisory Council and Greenbelt Overhaul Alliance of Levittown. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back with mosquito repellents that don't work and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute, hosting a Fall on the Farm event on Saturday and Sunday, September 21st and 22nd. Visitors can enjoy organic apple and pumpkin picking, wagon tours, food vendors, live music, and more. Details at RodaleInstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio with WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we will talk about that mysterious plant pest called the sawfly, often, if not always, misidentified. We're also going to take more of your fabulous phone calls, but now it is time to welcome our special guest who's going to knock the mosquitoes out of your life. All right, I want to welcome our very special guest, Colin Purrington, who is currently a macro nature photographer, formerly an evolutionary biology professor at Swarthmore College, and whose blog, his bio on his blog is, this is a blog with nature photography, biology related projects, and geeky tips. Uh, and you're a PhD, right? It's true. Okay, so Dr. Currington. Thank you. How's yep, that? Sure. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being had. Now, you're in the greater Philadelphia area, right? You live in Ardmore, I believe? Swarthmore. Swarthmore, okay. So you, you never went far from the college where you taught for 14 years? 14 years, yep. And what? I, I, there's so much I want to talk about, but you sent me an email um, 
and the title of it was uh, Mosquito Traps That Don't Work. Yes. Mosquito Repellents That Don't Work. Before we get to that, because I've been trying to figure out where to plug this in, you also sent me a picture of your garden. So, you know, I, I tell people there used to be a, a bed and breakfast in um, my immediate area that they got so tired of birds taking all their blueberries that they fenced the blueberries in and used fencing over the top as well. You went them better. You have a completely screened in, wood framed outdoor garden. So you don't have to worry about deer, birds, evil squirrels, rabbits. It even protects against dogs who like to eat berries. Yes, and you, you are, clearly very handy if you built this yourself. We'll be showing images of it um, for those of us who are on TV right now. But it's something to be very proud of. Well, thank you very much. How long did it take you? It took me about two weeks. Oh, jeez. <clears throat> All right, we're out of time, ladies and gentlemen. Takes me two weeks to lay one rock of a raised bed, you know. Yeah. So, anyway, you sent me um, a link to a wonderful uh, blog about mosquitoes. Uh, but while we were talking in the green room, mosquitoes aren't necessarily your favorite thing, right? No, I like anything that's small and ignored. So I like slime molds, mm -hmm. mushrooms, spiders, anything that sometimes freak people out but mm -hmm. have photogenic qualities. I really like taking photographs of them and learning about them when I take the photographs. Well, between spiders and mosquitoes, there's, there's no contest. Mosquitoes are a thousand times more dangerous. Yes. Um, I don't know that there's really been a recorded death from spider bites that could be verified, but you know, you might even know how many people die from mosquito bites every year worldwide. I definitely should know that, I don't, but probably tens, tens of, of thousands, thousands yeah. if not hundreds of thousands. Okay. So. And now, when did the tiger mosquito, the Asian tiger mosquito, become prevalent in the United States? About 20 years ago? About 20 years ago, I think it first landed somewhere in Texas at a shipping yard and has been going north and everywhere in the United States since then. Because that's really up the ante. This is a much more dangerous mosquito than our native one, right? Yeah, it transmits a couple different types of diseases that the native ones don't transmit, and it also bites during the day, which really gets people's attention. Oh, yeah. And I got mine. When I was in Swarthmore, the first couple of years we moved there in 97, tiger mosquitoes were not that much of a problem. And that changed every year. It became hard to go outside with them. Yeah, you know they have uh, an evolutionary advantage in the way they, I, I don't know if you'd call it breeding, but in the egg laying stage, you know, because our regular female mosquitoes lay their eggs in standing water right there on the spot. And it's my understanding that the Asian tiger mosquito lays her eggs at the end of the summer, early fall, in like egg cases in areas that will eventually get inundated with water, but you can't, you can't protect yourself by just emptying everything from them. They're devils. They really lay their eggs in spots that have some moisture or did have some moisture. They can sense where that is, and as soon as there's a good rain, that water level goes up and those eggs are activated. And I think, I'm not sure for that species, but some species can last for years at the egg stage. 
Yeah, no, they're very efficient uh, predators of human beings and other creatures. So why did you, oh, I guess it's personal, right? You, you, you undertook it to test all these devices because you wanted to stop getting bit. Oh, right, totally selfish at the start. I didn't wanna be bit when I was outside and no one in my family wanted to go outside because there were so many mosquitoes, particularly the Asian tiger mosquitoes. Right, and you had the, the science background to be able to test these things objectively. That's right. Okay, so let's go, and um, I should say, we'll link up to your blog. I want everybody out there to read his articles on mosquitoes. There's a couple of different ones, or, or at least there's uh, tangents that you go off on. Yes. And um, the first thing you say, if I remember correctly, which I should because I read it this morning, um, is empty out all the standing water on your property. And you and I are totally agreed that the number one unseen spot of mosquito breeding is gutters. And uh, I've been guilty of having clogged gutters. I have to admit it. I've gone up and been shocked at the gutters are completely filled with water and probably tens of thousands of larvae in there. About, let's see, my son Max was fairly young. So this is probably 20 years ago. Uh, we have a lot of tulip poplar trees around our house, and they're always notorious for dropping branches. And one day I noticed there was a very large, half-rotten branch on our roof. So I told Max, we got to get out the extension letter. we got to go up there and get that thing off because it could contain termites or carpenter ants. And that's how they get into the house a lot of times. So we go up, knock the branch off the roof. There's nothing in it. But the gutters are clogged, and I can see the writhing larva. They're having a spring break party. They've got tiny little red solo cups and beach umbrellas, and they're breeding like mad. So we cleaned out the gutters, and this was probably the first generation. It was really early in the season. And I was testing mosquito devices. I was testing the mosquito magnet and a couple of other things, and we never caught a mosquito, but we never got bit either. And when I talked to the, to the researchers, they said, oh, you probably killed them all when you cleaned out your gutters that early. I, I think that's true. I think when people put their minds to it to get rid of every part of water in their yard that's stagnant, they can really knock back the levels a lot. I would really like to plug, though, the, those flexible downspout extenders. Right. Those are sort of the unknown source in a lot of communities Right. right. mosquitoes. We have um, a researcher, I think, from Cornell um, who's been on the show to talk about mosquitoes a lot. And I think she called them a cryptic source or something like that because you, it mm -hmm. looks so harmless. It looks like it's taking water away. And you can't see the mosquitoes inside. And the leaves connect in the little ridges and if you get rid of all of those, you'd be very wise to do that if you could. And you gotta clean up your trash. Um, one thing I learned from yet another mosquito expert was plastic bags, like stuck in shrubs and stuff. That's a great nursery. Tarps on wood. Oh, tarps, yeah, sure. Get rid how of many, all your tarps. How many little puddles, how many little pools are there? Yeah. So, um, I'm going to digress from where I was going to go originally. So obviously you're a big standing water fan. You know, you list, and you list all these, you know, first run, get rid of this, get rid of this, get rid of that. Um, have you heard on this show or anywhere else 
about turning standing water into mosquito traps using BTI. Yes, I think I first heard of it on this show. Yeah. And that's when I started to use it in my yard. Yeah, it was uh, a good friend of mine down in Texas, the dirt doctor, Howard Garrett, who has an organic radio show in Texas, organic gardening radio show. And it was, he credited a researcher at Texas A&M who said, um, instead of emptying out your standing water, put out all the standing water you can and add BTI to it. Now, you and I are very familiar with BTI, uh, Bacillus thuringiensis uh, of the Israeliensis strain. And it's remarkable because when you put these giant-sized ducks into a big pond or you shake some of these granules onto a wet area in your lawn, no mosquitoes can successfully breed there, but it doesn't harm anything else, which is fabulous because these are the areas where fireflies are born, where toads are born and live, um, and it only affects it only affects flies that breed in standing water, members of the fly family. And only some members of the fly family that yes. breed in water. It's only the, the ones that are very related to mosquitoes that are killed. Right. It's um, the gnats, those wonderful gnats that give you a lone ranger mask in the spring. You know, they love being around your eyes. And black flies, you know, which nobody likes to get bit by. Right. I wish they could do something about deer flies. So uh, what do you think? I mean, um, do, you, do you do it? I do it. I have a bird bath where I have the mosquito dunks in them all the time. And I haven't witnessed mosquitoes going there to lay eggs, but I'm sure they do. And those larvae, when they hatch, they die. Yeah. So let's talk um, a little bit about their, their habits. The, what, I'm, I'm blanking out. What, what is the name of our, quote, native mosquito, the one that's always been around, the sundown, sunset thing? The, How would you refer to it? The Asian tiger mosquito? No, no, the other ones. Culex pipians? Yes, yes, Culex. So um, these mosquitoes, females, mm -hmm. um, at the end of the season, they take a blood meal, and then they hibernate somewhere in, like, crawl spaces, in spring houses, in attics, in garages. And it's one of these things, I guess, uh, you know, one heartbeat a day or something like that. And then when the weather warms up, they fly out. And they're desperate, right, for a blood meal again because they, you know, they've used up all their resources, all their stores. So they're going to find somebody or something to bite, get some blood, and then they're going to lay their eggs in the first available water source that they can find. And that's why I think that the BTI is absolutely essential in the springtime. And I'll admit, I go nuts. I got five gallon buckets out there. I've got wheelbarrows out there. I've got little cat food cans out there. I'm shaking um, the granules into the areas at the back of my property that tend to stay wet longer than others. And I think it's been remarkably effective. I think that's a great strategy. Everyone should do it. Everyone should also write down on their calendar that they need to do it again. That bacteria doesn't last forever, especially when there's no meal for it to eat. Right. Now, um, we should mention, by the way, that uh, all, all strains of Bacillus thuringiensis, which is like a genus, and then there's different family members, um, 
All of them are naturally occurring. They were originally found in soil samples. So literally, um, what I like to tell people is a dog can drink the water with BTI in it. Dog won't be harmed. Bees can drink that water. Bees won't be harmed. Uh, birds won't be harmed. Um, it, it really is remarkably specific. It, it's one of the, the best organic discoveries of all time, I think. That's my feeling, is you go crazy early on. Get that first generation, because you know what happens. One female mosquito lays her eggs, then you got 20 female mosquitoes that hatch out from there. They lay their eggs, and before long, you've got thousands of mosquitoes. But if you cut off that scout, if you cut off that first runner, you can really do yourself a lot of good. Especially the ones that lay hundreds of eggs. Yeah. So it's like killing three or four or a thousand mosquitoes by swatting them. If you can just nip that in the bud before they even lay eggs, you're ahead of the game. And I should mention that um, the dunks, the large dunks, which are designed for big bodies of water, they last 30 days. The granules um, have a much more instant killing power, um, but they only last for like, I believe, 10 days, something like that. Right. But I don't use them all, all year long. I just go nuts in like April and May when the first ones are coming out. Now, but the problem is the tiger mosquito, they've laid egg masses in places that might not be inundated for months, right? That's right. You know? Or years. So they are clever. They are clever creatures. People roll their eyes when I start talking about BTI traps, and it's great to have someone who likes them. Oh, God, yes. And, um, I mean, no one out there will ever be sorry they took that piece of advice. Right. Okay. Um, I'll... You're, you are an excellent writer. You're a fun writer. You're concise. I really enjoyed reading your blog. I don't say that very often. Thank you. All right. Our guest has been Colin Purrington, P-U-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N, uh, formerly an evolutionary biology professor at Swarthmore College, um, a entomology nerd of the best type, a great writer. You'll really enjoy reading the stuff at his blog, and I urge you to seek it out. Well, of course, we will uh, provide a lot of links um, with this show on our website, youbetyourgarden.org. So, Colin, thanks. I, it's been amazing. I, uh, I had high hopes, and you didn't disappoint me. Thank you for having me, Mike. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody that I will appear in Bristol, PA at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, October 2nd to celebrate nature's annual gift of leaves with a talk on the proper making and utilization of compost for the Bristol Township Environmental Advisory Council and the Greenbelt Overhaul Alliance of Levittown. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to discuss the mysterious sawfly and take more of your mysterious phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week. Is it a caterpillar? Is it a slug? Or is it the mysterious sawfly? We will answer that question after a bunch more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-958-8. Adam, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Adam. How are you doing and where are you? I'm doing very well. I'm in Norman, Oklahoma. Storm in Norman, right next to Oklahoma City. Exactly right. Exactly right. What can we do for Adam and Norman? So I have, uh, I, I grow herbs mm -hmm. uh, for cooking purposes. Um, I have done so uh, for a long time. Uh, I mostly do it in pots sure. and um one of my favorite herbs is cilantro, and I can't grow it. I've tried from seed. I've tried from plant. I've tried wet, dry, lots of sun, little sun. I have never – I can get it usually to go one good leaf, and then it, it'll die on me. Really? Huh. You know, there's, there's no lack of opinion about cilantro. Some people like it, and some people think, why am I eating something that tastes like a soapy cat? That that is uh, uh, that is my significant other's opinion of cilantro, but it is not mine, unfortunately. Ooh. I am a very big fan. Yeah, but you know what's happening? She's sabotaging you, man. She's out there pulling off the leaves in the middle of the night while you're sleeping, so you don't stick it into one of her dishes. This may be true. I think you need no. I, th I this is not a gardening question. I think you need a nanny cam. You need to set it up there. You need to see what she's doing. Um, I, I, I think you're, you're being taken for a ride here. So Oklahoma is um, hot and dry in the summertime and very windy. You know, the wind coming, whipping off the plains is no exaggeration. That's the most serious sustained winds I've ever been through. Now, cilantro is... Uh, yeah, I've never grown it, so um, I'm going to struggle a little here. But it is said to be difficult to grow. Now, you say you're growing in containers. What kind of containers and what are they filled with? Uh, typically, um, I, I have used both plastic and terracotta. Mm -hmm. Recently, I've used plastic because they've been in, in – because I, I – because of how hot it is in Oklahoma, yeah. I, I try and keep it controlled and keep it indoors. Uh, just because that, to me, especially like you said, with the wind, um, can can just try to mitigate what is influencing it. You're, you're, um, you're growing so, your you're growing your herbs indoors. Mm -hmm. Under lights. Uh, normally in window sills. Okay, um, but you do have outdoor space. Yes. Do you have any space that is not windy? In other words, that there's a windbreak of some kind in front of it. Uh, I, yes. Um, that, that, oh. that, that is possible. And uh, what do you fill your container? And by the way, you're absolutely right about terracotta. It wicks its moisture into the air. It looks beautiful, but it's very difficult to keep evenly watered. It's a great choice in a rainy environment like in um, 
you know, uh, on the coast and on the Washington coast up by Seattle. Um, but in a hot, dry climate like yours, it's it's almost impossible to keep plants evenly watered. So plastic is is the is the answer there. And you know, for those who don't like plastic, and I can't blame them one bit, the only way to make plastic sustainable is to keep reusing it, reusing it, and reusing it, and then recycle it. So, what do you fill your containers with? Normally, just plain potting soil. I have. I have used fertilizer uh, before, mm-hmm. um, just miracle Grow on uh, the cilantro. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't. I, I have. I haven't noticed a difference. Like I said, normally what 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 I'll do, what'll happen is I'll get one good harvest, mm-hmm. and then the next time the leaves start to come out, mm-hmm. it'll be brown, mm-hmm. and it'll start to die. Okay. Uh, well, I hope you stopped using the Miracle Grow. Those chemical salts aren't really good for growing anything. But, and again, in a hot and dry environment, their saltiness becomes more concentrated. So you were using Miracle Grow potting soil. Is that what I'm thinking? Uh, no, no, just the, the, I would just use normal, I mean, just whatever just, potting soil I got at the, the, the local store. But okay. then I would just use the... Uh, the plant food fertilizer and the shakers. Right, right, right. The explosives in the little green box. Mm-hmm. Um, do you uh, did you buy your stuff at a big box store or a garden center? Uh, normally a big box store. Yeah. So what I'm going to suggest is with cilantro, like basil, you it's difficult to get long lived plants. With basil, you can keep pinching off the growing tips and make it grow more bushy and stop it from going to flower. Um, but a lot of people will simply buy a big bag of seed, and they'll sow a new run every two weeks. That may, okay. that may be your best, um, your best option here, because the young plants, if, if cilantro is ever going to taste good, it's going to be on a young plant, not an older one. So I would suggest you go to a local garden center, Uh, You know, these big box stores, they're putting local garden centers out of business. And these are family-run businesses that have been around for maybe 100 years. They really deserve your support. And get a nice organic potting soil. And then uh, get a big big thing, a packet of cilantro seeds. Get the biggest one you can. It may not be on the seed rack, um, but you might be able to mail order, say, even a quarter pound of seed, go nuts, something like that. But uh, yeah. but make a run when uh, when all danger of frost is over, of course, and harvest that. Um, and two weeks after you plant the first run, plant another one. Just keep going in succession, and don't worry about the fact that the plants are not long lived. I don't I don't believe they really ever are. Okay, okay, that makes a lot more sense to me because I've had a lot of success with the seed. I haven't had a lot of success with trying to replant. Um, but I have had success with seed uh, from cilantro before, but I think I could, uh, I can, I can stagger. And yeah. uh, luckily, I believe I'll be moving into a place where I'm going to start working on a uh, bedded garden this summer, good. so or good, this good. winter. So yeah. hopefully, that'll be uh, that'll be the answer to my problem. Yeah, successive seeding is always uh, a great functional way to grow plants that don't last a long time, and it's an underutilized technique by gardeners. All right. I think I can do that. All right. Good luck to you, sir. 
As promised, it's time for the question of the week, which we're calling, it's a caterpillar, it's a slug. No, it's a sawfly. Earlier this month, Paul in Ardmore, PA, emailed us a picture of what looked like a big cluster of black and white caterpillars and wrote, I'm wondering what these are. They only attack my yellow twig dogwood, but they attack it every year and will eat every leaf if I don't collect them quickly. Well, I replied that they looked like some kind of crazy caterpillar, and I proceeded to try and ID them. But no matter how hard I searched, I couldn't find a match. So I turned to our Facebook friends. My newly married daughter, Amanda, posted the photo and asked for help, and help we got. Facebook friend Susan was the first to ID them as sawfly larvae and correctly noted that they are specialists, each subspecies feeding only on a specific plant, making these, quote, caterpillars the dogwood sawfly. Another friend chimed in to add that they are currently attacking her red twig dogwood. But my favorite response to what are they came from JM, who simply answered bird food. Now, sawflies are one of the weirdest pests out there. Most of the adults look like wasps, but don't have that thin waspish waist like true wasps. Some look like bees and even appear to have a stinger, but it's actually their ovipositor, the body part that females use to inject their eggs into the target plant. Now, sawflies are related to wasps and bees and ants as well and they've been damaging plants for an estimated 250 million years, so they're survivors. Although the adults are all flying insects with wings, the larvae are unique. Some look and act exactly like caterpillars, while some look exactly like slugs. Now, the unlucky pear tree has one of each, the pear slug and the pear sawfly. But roses may have the most. The rose slug feeds on leaves. The rose stem sawfly burrows into the stems of roses like a cane borer. And one that looks like a caterpillar, the rose leaf roller sawfly, rolls up the leaves it's eaten so you can't see it. There's even a sawfly that builds a cocoon around itself as it feeds on evergreens, doing a darn good imitation of a bagworm. Now there are an estimated 8,000 to 10,000 different species, and each one is a specialist. The pine sawfly and the Irish, Irish, <laughs> the Irish are nothing but trouble. And now we've got sawflies in the family as well. The pine sawfly and the iris sawfly are especially damaging in forestry and professional horticulture. Now, some of the adults may look like they have a stinger, but they don't sting. Some of the caterpillar-like larvae look like they have stinging hairs, like the nasty saddleback caterpillar, but they don't sting either. Their biggest defense is to secrete a nasty, irritating liquid when they're attacked, which must work well if they've been hanging around for hundreds of millions of years. Now, the leaf eaters typically eat only the soft parts of the leaves, leaving behind the veins, which make the damage look lacy and skeletonized, just like the damage caused by Japanese and other scarab beetles. So this makes proper identification really difficult. The proper ID is important because BT, the old original organic caterpillar killer, has no effect on sawflies, no matter how much they look like caterpillars. 
So to try and make an accurate ID, type the name of the plant being attacked into your search engine and add the word sawfly after it if the pest looks like a caterpillar. Use the word slug if it looks like, well, a slug. Or pick one up and count the number of, quote, legs it has. They're not real legs. Anyway, sawflies have six of these phony legs. Caterpillars have fewer. All right? So what can we do about them? Here's the bullet list, kids. Hand pick and drop them into a bucket of soapy water. Hand pick and feed them to your chickens. Spray them off the plant with laser sharp streams of water. Hang suet cakes near affected plants in the winter and remove them when spring arrives. Don't put out bird seed. Many birds do feed on sawflies, especially members of the chickadee family. These birds love suet, and when it disappears, they'll go hunt your sawflies. Cultivate the soil in the fall and again in the spring underneath the plants that were attacked in the summer. The sawflies are pupating down there and would otherwise emerge in their wasp-like form in May or June. If your sawfly looks like a slug, dust it with diatomaceous earth, D-E. It's the mined remains of ancient sea-dwelling creatures called diatoms. D-E looks like flour to us, but it's razor sharp on a microscopic level and dehydrates slugs and other soft-bodied slug-like creatures. Be careful not to inhale any of the DE. Wear a dust mask when you spread it around. Spray them with a professionally made insecticidal soap. Homemade soap sprays can easily become accidental herbicides. Spray them with a light horticultural oil designed for use in the summer. Not dormant oil, that's for use in the winter. Whether insecticidal soap or horticultural oil, you have to soak the pest with it. These products work by smothering the pest directly and have no residual action. If no flowers are nearby, you can spray one of the new Spinosad products, but don't let it hit any flowers as it is toxic to bees. Otherwise, it's harmless to other creatures. You could spray concentrated neem or neem oil on the pests and on the leaves. And if your rose canes wilt, find the little hole the sawfly made, prune the cane away from the plant, expose the caterpillar-like pest inside, and taunt it to death. Well, that sure was some good information about the mysterious sawfly now, wasn't it? Luckily, you can read these directions over at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to sawfly my snapdragons if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588. Or send us your email. You're tired. You're poor. You're wretched refuse. Teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. If you want us to read it, please include your location. 
you'll find all of this contact information, as well as answers to many of your garden questions. Audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, oi, and links to our internationally renowned podcast, all at our website, youbetyourgarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show, and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio in association with WLVT PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Harold and Nancy McGrath. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page and congratulate her on her very recent marriage. Our princess of production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Our audio editor is Jazzy Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Our occasional cameraman is Jeff Frederick. Hi, Jeff. Zach the Taquisneski is in the house. Our CEO, Tim Fallon, is late for a meeting, but never late for lunch. And I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'm going to go soft fly hunting until I can see you again next week. Hey, boy, where's the ball? Where's the ball? Ready? Go get it, boy. That's a good boy. Drop it. Drop it. Good boy. Good boy. Loyal partners. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. Is the Bradford pear the worst tree in the world? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, Adrian Higgins from the Washington Post will explain why it just might be. Plus, will ivy kill a tree? And of course, your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.